Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right. Should we start then? Uh, yeah. It's going to get really hot in here, isn't it? Let's get the results up. <laughs> <clears throat> Open that for a second. Just a quick glance. The screaming fans outside. It's like Nickelodeon. That's your favourite joke. I know, I always made that. That's <laughs> all I think of whenever I think of like screaming fans outside. You think about Nickelodeon That's too much. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show, back on the air this week, despite pretty astonishing public demand. My name is Adam Bayfield, and I'll be your host tonight, and sat across from me is none other than the people's champion, Tony Kerr. Evening. How's it going, Tony? Yeah, all good. Thank you. It's late. It's late in the evening. It's one of those late night sessions. You were saying you're, you enjoy our late night sessions. I do. I really do. I mean, I'm describing it as late. It's, uh, it's 9.58. It's late for me. It's very late for me. Lots to discuss as well, so this could run late. We could run all the way till 10.58. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, you enjoy the atmosphere, do you? Yeah, it's nice. Sessions. I think we should maybe dim the lights. I'd be up for dimming the lights. Yeah. Can you dim the lights? You can. I'll do it in a moment. I might get, grab a beer, actually. Wow. A second. Grab yourself a Just beer really settle in. and a Kit Kat out of the freezer, maybe. Why not? Well, you've already had several of those since I arrived. That's what I did. This has been a pretty ridiculous day, really. This is the second podcast we've recorded today. And in between, we were at a social media marketing forum. And then I've just been to work for a couple of hours. And I've come here at 9.58 to record a podcast with you. Like, we were talking about this earlier. Like, I'm, just, I'm constantly rushing from engagement to engagement, late for all of them, and kind of don't enjoy any of them because I know I've got to rush off to the next one. That's pretty much it. I really, yeah, really struggle with that. <laughs> I mean, Most of so- them, to be fair, are like ball games. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm late for tennis. Yeah, exactly. I'm late for, for six-a-side football. I'm late for my podcast. My weekly warm-up for six-a-side football is the sprint from the car to <laughs> pitch side. Usually, as I hear the whistle in the game before go, I'm just getting out the car. Well, you normally you get halfway to the pitch, and then you realise you've forgotten your boots, so you sprint back again. Yeah. Sprint halfway, you realise you've forgotten your shin pads. It's just a and that's it's like an ongoing yeah, exactly, and that's minutes after probably I've just finished my dinner, which will be like <laughs> uh, yeah, a Weetabix and a glass of champagne or something. It'll be like some absurd <laughs> combination of food that's which all you had in the fridge, not like nowhere near appropriate or sufficient for what need, what's happening <laughs> what was your your pre-match meal before five side football the other week when i was out with you and you had like it's pretty 4 30 in the afternoon uh was it chips cheese and chips and poppadoms with mango chutney that was it yeah and a glass of champagne yeah and a, and a, and a pint of san miguel that was a yeah fine pre-match routine and it 
to be fair, did not pay off. <laughs> I was decidedly sluggish. What has been your uh, pre-match routine for the podcast tonight? Well, yeah, four frozen Kit Kats and a litre of water. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, to be fair, is quite healthy. Yeah, so comparatively. You're balancing compared it out. to chips, cheese and chips and poppadoms and mango chutney. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I've just wolfed down a sandwich. I didn't have time to eat anything earlier, so I had my dinner at 9.55. Maverick. I would never, like, if I was a professional cricketer and I was playing test cricket, I would literally be just munching away all day. There just wouldn't be, yeah, you'd be like, ah, oh, you know, cookies in, he's bedded in for bed and breakfast, and you're thinking, well, you know, I'm batting down, at, well, I'd probably be batting at sort of seven or eight. Even yeah, as a specialist. You just keep sliding yourself down the order. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> just to make sure you get enough poppadoms in. Quite. Well, we've talked before about how, you know, you were obviously captain of our school team uh, and your your sort of captaincy strategy revolved very much around getting the baguette order in from the baguette shop down the road. It was, it was, very, it was always very much win the toss, bat first, so that we can get to the baguette shop, get your chicken tikka baguette yeah. before you have to go out and field. Because if you field first... You're not eating lunch till like 3.30 or something. You're struggling. I guess you would have raced to, to get to cricket <laughs> in the first place. So, yeah. Well, anyway, I'm rushing around, but I'm enjoying this kind of quite relaxed vibe that we've got going on on the podcast tonight. It's really calming me down. Uh, but as you say, there's plenty to talk about. It's been a wild tone since we did one of these. Yeah, summer kind of took over, didn't it? Well, I was away and then you were away. Uh, and in between, we just didn't do one. That's not really an excuse, is it? I, you know, why are you late? Oh, well, I set off late. It's yeah, that kind of, yeah. yeah, exactly. Why didn't you do a podcast? Why I just didn't do one? Trouble is, we keep going away at separate times, mm. but we've solved that. And we'll maybe we'll tease out the details of, of what's going on. We'll save this for another another quieter episode when there isn't like two legends of the game to discuss, four test matches, etc. But we've we've actually booked holiday together, yeah. and it is cricket related yeah. for next year. So yeah, more to come. Me and you, Tim, little teaser, skipping off into the sunset. <laughs> exactly, on but you know that for the that's really for the benefit of the listeners because uh, we yeah we'll be able to record together when we're there, mm-hmm. and we won't sort of be be like passing in the night ships passing in the night. whatever the expression is? Uh, ships passing on their way to holidays uh, <laughs> yeah. in the week. See the signs. So perfect. Easy jets passing in the night. <laughs> um, all right. Well, yeah, we should probably crack on with it because as you yeah. say. Uh, there are legends of the game to talk about. Plenty to discuss. We've got four test matches to catch up on. I bet you're looking forward to my match reports, Tone. Uh, we're going to be going through ball-by-ball reenactments of uh, each test match that's happened, starting with Laws. So uh, shall we crack on with it? Yeah. Well, when last we spoke, England had just won a thrilling first test in the series against India at Edgebaston, bowling India out on the fourth morning to just about edge an absorbing contest. And it seemed as though at that point we might be in for a belter of a series. And I'll be asking you that question in a minute, Tony. And that's going to be my first question to you, whether you think we have had a belter of a series. The second test was at Lords. As we said, that England won that game extremely comfortably. Chris Wokes back in the side struck his maiden test 100 and he took some wickets as well, as did Jimmy Anderson, as India were flattened for 107 and 130 to lose by an inning. So that was a pretty disappointing game and at 2-0 it suddenly seemed like it might end up being a bit of a damp squib of a series after all but at Trent Bridge in the third game India roared back into the contest bowling England out for 161 with Hardik Pandya taking 5 for 28 and Virat Kohli with 97 in the first innings and 103 in the second set up Jasprit Bumrah and the bowlers to bowl England out again and claim a famous victory 
by 203 runs. Game on then. And when England were 86 for six on the first day in Southampton, it looked as though we were hurtling towards two all. But Sam Curran's 78 got England up to 246. And then Moeen Ali on his return to the side took five wickets to restrict India to only a narrow lead. England then built a lead of their own through Joss Butler and Curran again. And then Moeen took another four-wicket haul. He was man of the match as India collapsed for 184 to give England the game and the series. So onto the oval... Are you still with me, Tate? Just about. For a dead rubber, uh, but it was anything but a dead game because, as everyone is aware, I'm sure, it was Alistair Cook's final game in Test cricket and he really couldn't have scripted anything better. He made 71 in the first innings. England were 332 out, but that meant that, you know, it was likely that he'd get another go. England bowled India out for 292 and so Cook came to the crease again and this time he did it. 147, his 33rd Test century, uh, Joe Root made 100 as well, set an impossible target for India. Uh, and when India were then two for three, it seemed like it was uh, going to be game over pretty quickly. But Kale Rahul with 100, Rishabh Pant with 100 as well. They took the game all the way into the final session of day five. But uh, Anderson returned to claim the final wicket and in the process go past Glenn McGrath to be the leading wicket taker of all time amongst fast bowlers as England wrapped up the win by 118 runs. Are you still awake, Tone? Yeah, what are you on? Second test? (laughs) Well, put some perspective on this for us then. My first question, as I've already revealed, is uh, what do you make of this series as a whole? How do you assess this series as a whole, as a contest? It was obviously a five-test series, India the number one team in the world, a kind of marquee event. And last time we spoke after the first test, we did think maybe it was going to be a, a, you know, it's going to end up being a real classic did it turn out that way for you, Tone? Did it did it live up to the billing? I don't think anything really hit the heights of the first test, you know, in the four that followed. It was a very enjoyable series, and you know, as we'll come on to, lots of uh, lots of talking points, lots of really exciting performances, some incredible milestones. I think overall, though, it sort of petered out slightly in terms of the sort of the actual meaning of of the series. Uh, which which was a bit of a disappointment, but but overall, like it's, yeah, it, you know, it's been a it's it's been solid. It's been an enjoyable, solid series. I think I'm with you. Like uh, yeah, as you say, there have been some extremely memorable moments and some very entertaining cricket. The first game was one of the best tests that we've seen in England for a long time. Uh, the fourth test was a really good match as well. But I have been slightly surprised by just how much people seem to have enjoyed it seem to have enjoyed it I don't know if I, I've I've been feeling in the last few days that maybe I'm kind of out of touch a bit because it does seem like everyone is talking about this as being one of the great test series I saw Nick Holt who writes for, writes for the Telegraph describing it as the best series he's watched since 2005 I saw someone else on Twitter saying it's the best series for 30 years so including 2005 that's mental but I mean for me I don't know I, I, I just wonder if the what happened on the final day well firstly the, the Cook thing and the Anderson thing which are obviously like historic moments a and b what happened on the final day with india dragging the game out to the final session has maybe changed the narrative a bit because yeah when india were two for three it looked like they were going to you know collapse in a heap and it would have been another quite one-sided test match of which there were another couple in the series actually people were beginning to think that india might pull off that what would have been a record chase i think that was silly really i don't think it was ever going to happen but some people were beginning to think that, so they thought, "Oh, this is another great test match." And it was a very, it was a good test match. But I, I've been slightly surprised by 
the strength of feeling that people seem to have about it because I think it was a good series, but I don't know that it's quite up there. I don't know if it's just kind of partly short memories because yeah. all anyone can reference it against is 2005. But like that, ha- so people are thinking, yeah, well, I mean, no the- wonder Tess Quick's in trouble if the last good series was 2005. <laughs> well, exactly. Like, I feel like obviously that's an, um, you know, that is the benchmark, which will never be matched. But people sort of don't remember any other series other than that. But like, <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> that's for but, sure. You know, I just off the top of my head, I thought the 2009 Ashes, the 2010 Ashes that England won in Australia. You love the Ashes, then. Um, well, England in India in 2012, 2009 in South Africa. There's there's quite a few series that just that England have been involved in that I would rank above this one. But I mean, it's a good series, but at the end of the day, it did still finish 4-1. And although in some ways, well, th- th- this is a question for you. Is, th- is, th- is that a kind of misleading scoreline? Was it maybe a bit closer than 4-1 suggests? That is maybe slightly misleading in some regards. You know, I've seen a lot of people saying that yeah, it's sort of asking, is this the best team that's ever lost the series 4-1? Uh, or, you know, have they sort of produced the best performances? You know, there are statistics to back that up. But I think, you know, for India, the you know, the bowling was, was very good throughout. But, you know, the batting, it was just Kohli, wasn't it? And actually, you know, f- well, first of all, fair play to Kohli. Because, uh, you know, there, there were quite a few people who wanted to see him struggle. And uh, probably one of them. Slightly. Uh, oh, yeah, only because I, I, I'm sort of slightly resistant to the hype and I don't like the whole kind of personality. I don't like sports people to be over-egged. I, you know, that's not what I like about sport is the mm. sort of the superstars. And that's all anyone talks about. You hate the guy, Tony. It's fine. No, you can no. just admit it. No, but, you know, obviously... It's good. It's good content for us. Like, it will drive a lot of traffic yeah, to the podcast. No, I know. I, <laughs> things I actually don't. But he... Uh, yeah, he was, he did it constantly. He's really apart from the golden duck in the the final test. Uh, I mean, he barely had a failure. Yeah, and that was phenomenal in a series where most of the bats, well, you know, no one could really lay bat on ball for for half of it. And also, I've been really impressed with just how he's kind of carried himself. You know, after the matches in you know, interviews and things, I think he's come across really well uh, this summer. Now I know you know. You'll, I think you'll be probably be one of the people who's maybe going to be slightly critical of his captaincy uh, this summer. But I think in terms of the batting, you know, he, he has proved if he wasn't already, he is now certainly head and shoulders above anyone else in Test batting. Well, particularly well, and what, g- then, given that Smith is, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we know what's happened to Smith. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no. So that, that's been a major win. You know, who knew about Virat Kohli? <laughs> Uh, so that's been really fun to discover. But actually, you know, when you look past that and you look at the batsmen that have scored more runs than, mo- you know, Butler, Cook, Root have scored more runs than, than any of the other Indian batsmen. And Cook and Root haven't had a particularly good series. Mm. So kind of that's for me, says it, says it all. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly until the final test when uh, Rahul and, and Rishabh Pant have uh, scored those centuries. Yeah, it, it was really, it was slim pickings from the Indian top order, Kohli apart. I mean, I agree, yeah, I'm not going to go into a long thing about it, but I think that it has raised some questions about Kohli's captaincy. And I think there are questions about what's going on behind the scenes, like Ravi Shastri as coach, who, you know, is more of a sort of cheerleader than a coach and seemingly a sort of yes man for Kohli. And clearly Kohli does have favourites amongst his teammates. And so someone like Shikha Dawan, who's obviously a very close friend of Kohli, keeps getting picked even though he's he's not producing so there are questions there but it's certainly in terms of his batting yeah he's absolutely silenced all the doubters I think he's also 
handled himself quite impressively off the field. On the field, you know, he can wind people up. Yeah, I mean, he's players and fans. He's very expressive and he's very passionate. And actually, yeah. you know, we, you know, we've obviously seen, uh, yeah, in other sports recently, kind of passion boiling over, mm. yeah, and being quite controversial. All this and more on the world tennis show. Well, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I mean that that at times that kind of it does rub you up the wrong way a bit, particularly if you're a fan of England, yeah. if it's against it or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I no, yeah, I think he has, I think he carries himself very well. well. It doesn't sort of bother you so much when England win four one, does it? If India had won this series, we might have been more upset by it. Yeah, but yeah, but I think actually Quite. off the field, certainly in his post-match interview at the Oval, he really came across very well, very humble in, in defeat and that sort yeah. of thing. Um, so I think he's, you know, his, his stature has grown in and a lot of ways. And he'll be pleased to hear us saying it, <laughs> sure. Um, he's really, been, he's been the real find of, of the summer in a lot of ways. The, the rest of the Indian team, yeah, the batting just hasn't produced. I, you've got to feel sorry for the seam bowlers because they've had an absolutely outstanding series, all of them, Ishant Sharma, has been brilliant. Jasper Boomer has come in for the last three tests and, you know, England have just found him so difficult to handle his pace. It's, it's amazing how much pace he gets for such a short run-up. It's a really odd thing, isn't it? Kind of explosive run-up, a bit like Simon Jones. And Mohamed Shami should have taken far more wickets than he did. He's ended up averaging close to 40 with the ball, which is insane, really, um, in a series where batsmen haven't scored many runs because he's arguably been the best bowler. And the astonishing thing about that is that you'd say, or you certainly would have said coming into the series, that India's best seam bowler wasn't there in Bhuvneshwar Kumar. And he's the one who took all the wickets in England four years ago. So, you know, they were unlucky not to have him. And so anyway, they, the seam bowlers deserve a huge amount of credit. And it's, you know, they'll feel hard done by that they've ended up on the losing side and on the, in a side that lost 4-1. But yeah, just coming back to the sort of overall uh, view of the series, like you asked me in our preview show, you know, would I be happy as an England fan if England win 5-0 or 4-1? And I said no, uh, definitely not. And I still hold to that view to some extent. Like, I, yeah, I do think this series was closer than 4-1 suggests, but I'm not sure it has been as close as people are now maybe suggesting. And I do wonder if, yeah, as I say, partly that's because of what happened on the final day. I just, basically, I just wish India had won in Southampton, where they, they had a run chase that they they could have pulled off. And if they had done that, this really would have been a cracking. Yeah, I finish. think had it gone in at at two all into that fifth test, you know, that's that's the stuff dreams are made of, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And then this would have been, and then it really would have been very exciting on the final day with India going for it, sort of thing. But it it was less exciting for me as a dead rubber. But I mean, that, it's obviously setting a very high standard because over five to how many five test series do go all the way to the final session on the final yeah. day of the final day. It just doesn't really happen or extremely rarely. So that's, you know, I'm not, I'm not sort of criticising this. I think it's been a really good series and I've enjoyed it a lot, but I've just been slightly surprised by people talking about it as one of the best series ever because I don't think it was. And I'm also, I feel slightly weird about it because although they won 4-1, I don't know how good England are, how, you know, how good we can say England are. And I, I'm, I'm conscious that it might sound a bit negative and to some people it may come across as sounding a bit negative because they've just beaten the number one team in the world 4-1. You know, can you really criticise them in light of that? And maybe in some ways, they're, you know, this what I'm about to say is England being a bit of a victim of their own success because, you know, years of almost never losing at home, you know, I'd have bitten your hand off in the 90s for a result like England beating the number one team in the world 4-1. And I'm not as excited about this as I would have been in the 90s because they've, you know, won a lot. So, yeah, but it, I, I think it was a good series in many ways, but I do just have this nagging doubt about the quality of the England team because, I, yeah, I just feel... 
taking them as a whole, I'm not sure I've ever been quite so underwhelmed by an England team as this. And I choose that word carefully, like underwhelmed. I'm, I'm not saying it's like the worst England team ever, but I just find it slightly underwhelming. I'm, I'm not sure they're very good. Like it's different. And that, that, yeah, it's slightly, slightly sort of brings me back to what you were saying before about whether what happened on that last day has kind of coloured the whole series. Because yeah, if you go back to the first innings uh, in Southampton, you know, what England were uh, 86 for six in all sorts of trouble. And, and, you know, once again, there was a real card action. Once again, Sam Curran was the guy to provide it. At that point, you know, and it is the classic kind of instant reaction on Twitter and, the, you know, the comments section on on live text and stuff like that. Uh, but at that point, everyone was like, oh, God, England, here we go again. You know, like, you know, yeah, collapsing again. A lot of stuff. those tweets were from me, to, <laughs> yeah, to be fair. But yeah, yeah, then you roll forward a few days. Cook's just scored 100 in a dead rubber. Uh, Joe Root's scored 100 in a dead rubber. And, you know, it, things are looking slightly different. It's a sort of celebratory kind mm. of procession, uh, which yeah, isn't to take anything away from those two innings because Cook and Root in scoring 100 kind of, you know, did so against their own kind of you know demons and demons but you know what i mean but yeah certainly i think that last day has has, has changed perceptions a little bit i mean look at the yeah the the, the batting order uh at southampton cook jennings moeen root bestow stokes butler you know it, it was kind of like what's going on here it's a weird lineup isn't it it is a weird lineup for test match cricket as i say it's difficult to describe this as a good test team when you look at the batting and think that's one of the weakest batting lineups that England have ever had there is at least like it does seem like there was at least one catastrophic collapse in every game after four tests two players had scored centuries and one of them was Chris Wokes I mean it's you know it's partly because conditions have been so tough for batsmen this summer and India obviously struggled as well but this is a long-standing problem and you know also you have to say that there have been some really encouraging developments this summer and encouraging developments in the batting particularly Butler and some Curran as well and we'll maybe come on to both of them in a bit more detail but still I think the fundamental problems in the team A the batting and B the depth in the bowling beyond Anderson and Broad are still there and this is a team that's going to go to Sri Lanka next month with Keaton Jennings as the senior opening batsman like the, the, this is not a great test team which isn't like that in itself is not a criticism of them except the reason that that kind of troubles me is because they've just beaten the number one team in the world 4-1 so I can't sort of shake the feeling that this says more about test cricket and the quality of test cricket at the moment than it does about England and I just feel like a good team from the past even the recent past say like South Africa from three or four years ago, the sort of Graham Smith team, would beat this England team quite easily. And it worries me a little bit that they're winning so comfortably at home, as all teams are winning so comfortably at home, when they've got such big problems. I don't know, is this like, am I being too negative? Is this, is this the wrong moment for this take, do you think, Tony? Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's an honest take, and that's, that's what you are, isn't it? You're an honest guy. <laughs> that's my stock in you trade. Shoot, you shoot from the hip, that's what people come here for. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. No, no, I, th- no, I think it's fair. I mean, I, it's kind of, it is a bit harsh in a way, isn't it? Because if you stood up in the dressing room, uh, you know, at the end of the, end of the, the play at the Oval, and we're like, well, well, and Cook, well, let me just get, let me get this straight. You know, you guys are not a great you test guys team. Are and they've just won. Yeah, as you say, you've just beaten the top ranked team in the world, who we both, I think, expected to win. I think I went for a two-all draw, but only because you went for 3-2 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I say expected is is a strong word, although I did predict it. (laughs) Backtracking here a bit. Uh, India's batsmen were 
much more disappointing than I expected. But sorry, continue. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you're talking about was this a classic series as well, when you actually look at... Yeah, I, mean, I just don't think that you can compare it to 2005. When you look back at the teams, you know, more or less you know, every player in both teams was a, a bit of a legend, really. Uh, whereas actually when you look at both lineups here, yeah, Anderson is still obviously performing at an extraordinary level. Mm. Uh, but when you look down the lineup, how many are you going to look back on in what, 13 years and mm. be like, well, that, yeah, those are legitimate legends? Well, I... I I agree with that to a large extent, but I am I'm kind of I'm suspicious of myself in these conversations because I wonder whether it's just partly because I'm getting older. Is it hindsight and like nostalgia? No, yeah, I find it hard to imagine someone like Johnny Bairstow or Ben Stokes or you know any, any of the current team sort of becoming legends in the way that I think about that 2005 team, or even the way that I think about like Graham Thorpe and Michael Atherton and people like that. But that's because they were. You know, Grenfell and Michael Atherton played in some terrible England teams. Yeah, but they were that was the England team when I was a child. So I think about that very fondly, and they're kind of like Titanic figures in my memory. Whereas now I'm literally a man in my thirties, <laughs> and it's just and actually and these players are younger than me as well. Yeah, so it's hard. I just can't. No, get it's true. You're invested like, well, in, them in the same upstart. way. Yeah, yeah. Whereas no, no, but. Well, I was actually going to well, say. I just assume though, that I'm better at cricket than them <laughs> because I'm older as well. I sort of must be. Yeah. Well, no, you're the senior figure. <laughs> yeah. uh, what I was going to come on to say, though, is that obviously, players, you know, there are lots of players in that, t- you know, obviously, Anderson is still performing at an extremely high level. You know, Stokes is world class and, and, you know, still has the potential to get much better as well. You know, others too. But then. Obviously, someone like Rashid, it's really hard to judge after this summer. You know, mm. he bowled the absolute worldie on the the final day, but then you know, barely bowled all summer really. And you know, what he, he was getting chucked the ball after sort of forty fifty overs. Uh, so it, it's kind of hard to judge him really at the moment. You know, the same with certain other players as well. But yeah, no, I think you're spot on. It's you know, they're, you're, they're still going to go to Sri Lanka, and you're going to be kind of wincing a bit. Yeah, there's going to be all the same. It, I just feel like we're going to have Again, we, we, the we same conversation yeah. that we had last winter, this winter. We've said it before and after every series, like, what have we learned, really? Well, but then... This, Who's this nailed is, something down? Well, that's absolutely right. And they would... They, everyone's been saying that, like, watching The Verdict, or they don't call it that, <laughs> the cricket debate on Sky. Charles Colville was literally asking that question, what have we learned? But there's part of me that thinks, this is the weird thing about Test Cricket, because... Do we ever learn? Well, do we ever learn? And what's the point in learning? Like, what are we hoping to learn? Why is learning something about the team? Like, all it's like all <laughs> that matters in Test Match Cricket is learning something about the team. But like, at the end of the day, they've just beaten the number one team in the world 4-1. That is the goal. What is the goal other than that? I suppose for England, it's the ashes. So that's the thing, isn't it? But like, it's like, well, I agree. It's like, well, we haven't really learned very much about this team, but, you know, they've won. So why does that matter? Yeah, true. The, the team that have, have been picked for this series have won the series hands down. Well, yes. So, so therefore, that, you can't really ask much more than that. It, that except for, yeah, I think you've got to make some allowance for the conditions because pretty much everyone struggled in the series apart from Kohli, who we've said earlier is the mm. you know the, by a distance the best batsman in the world at the moment. But then again, has anyone? I say Sam Curran has probably nailed down his spot for now. But the other issues, you know, batsmen have been floating around. People have come in, gone, you know, people have come back and not necessarily performed with the bat. So, yeah. 
Well, I think I think what we really do need to give England credit for is their resilience and their bloody mindedness and the fact that they just found a way to win. Like so as you've mentioned, India arguably produced the better individual performances, certainly with Kohli, also the bowlers. And some, and there were isolated other examples with the bat as well, particularly Pajara in the fourth test. But I think what this series does underline is that cricket is a team game. As much as we focus on the individual performances, the centuries, the five-wicket halls, at the end of the day, it is a team game. And it's about, you know, it's the team total. If you, if you can do it in 40s and 60s, get up to just enough runs that your bowlers chip in with one, two, three wickets. At the end of the day, that's enough. And, and England won the big moments. And as I say, they, they found a way to win and they found a way to win four times. And having said, you know, what have we learned? This question we keep going back to, what have we learned? I think you can say that we have learned a couple of things. This, I think there have been a couple of, of quite important developments ringing in this summer. You've mentioned Sam Curran and he's clearly won. We've talked about this, but just the pure fact that he's a left armour, adding some variety is a big step forward for England. And also, I think Josh Butler has had a great series. We haven't mentioned this, but he obviously um, scored his maiden test 100 in the third test, in a losing cause in the, in the third test as well. And I, so, yeah, I think Ed Smith deserves a bit of a pat on the back for that because there are a lot of people, including the two of us, I think, to, at least to some extent, who thought that was the wrong call to bring Butler back at the start of the summer. I wouldn't like to review the tape <laughs> for fear of being proved wrong, but I think I did support the inclusion of Butler. And I think, again, let's not go back <laughs> over the table. I think I also supported the inclusion of Butler, but not at number seven. And I'm still not convinced about him at number seven. But, you know, I was, I was slightly surprised by the recall and it's not necessarily what I would have done. But he has had an excellent summer and has played some important innings and also played some very, you know, the important innings that he's played have been in a very kind of responsible way, in a way that you wouldn't necessarily have expected him to play. He was sort of picked or he assumed he was picked to come in at 300 for five and smash a quick 70, 80, you know, runnable 100. But actually he keeps coming in at 80 for five and playing within himself and, and grinding out runs and batting with the tail. And that's, you know, that's been really impressive. I'm happy to be proved wrong, but, you know, pre-Butler's recall, there weren't many people being like, we've got to get Butler in the team. You know, he's, he is... You know, England's best natural batsman. He's a tactical mastermind on the field of play and all this kind of stuff. And now, you know, he scores a few runs. I was like, well, you know, he's pretty much a shoo-in to be the next captain. Mm. Uh, he's kind of at the heart of the England team, which is, you know, credit to him for kind of making that happen this summer. And speaking of being wrong, <laughs> I really didn't think they should bring back Moeen Ali. You know, we've, we've been, you know, we've had long conversations about Moeen, but obviously he had a, a disastrous winter, an absolutely kind of catastrophically bad Ashes series. And when I heard that he was back in the team for the fourth test, I just, you know, I was very frustrated by that decision because it seemed like a regression. But he has sure as hell proved me wrong. Back in the side for, yeah, that fourth test and the, and the fifth test as well. And he was man of the match in Southampton and, you know, followed it up with, with more wickets and some runs at the Oval. He took more wickets in two games than Ravi Ashwin took in four, which is not something I thought I'd be saying after the way Ashwin bowled at Edgebaston. I suppose the question, like going back to that, you know, the, the idea that this is all well and good, but when England go to Sri Lanka, we could be having the same sort of discussion that we had last winter. The question with Moeen is, you know, is he going to be any more successful? Does, does what he's achieved here mean that he'll be any more successful away from home in Sri Lanka and the Caribbean this winter than he was last winter. 
it is true to say that he did have an injury, like he was carrying, you know, he had an injury on his finger during the Ashes series, in which case he shouldn't have played, but that's not his fault, that's the selector's fault. But he does have a very poor record away from, a much worse record away from home with the ball than he does at home. He enjoys bowling in, in England, which is, you know, slightly unusual for a spin bowler that he prefers bowling in England than he does on the subcontinent and elsewhere. But that is the question, isn't it? Well, we'll find out, but is, you know, does this mean he'll do any better this winter it's and it's an interesting one about like if they do if they accept that he's a much better bowler and a much better player in England than he is away from home do you then leave him out away from home even if he has a really good summer and that does there's suggestions that that is going to be the kind of Ed Smith doctrine horses for courses yeah so like David Milan was dropped wasn't he and but Ed Smith said you know he's very much in in the frame for selection this winter because we think he's a much better player away from home than he is in England against the swinging ball so Milan actually might come back into the team in Sri Lanka even though he's had a very poor summer but like it's a difficult one because if Moen you know Moen's been so brilliant in these two games do you then go yeah but he's not very good away from home so you drop him for the next one seems like a very difficult decision to make it's tough but it does it comes back to kind of what I've said before about this whole the language of dropping you know if Ed Smith is seeing the England test team as the most appropriate 11 players from a pool of 20 or whatever. And, and that's what's happened in the series a bit, isn't it? People have kind of gone out and come back in and, you know, Curran was dropped, I guess, and then brought back. But was he dropped or was he just, you know, did other people just kind of overtake him in the, you know, in the selector's eye? So he wasn't like axed. No, exactly. He and just, so if you kind of see find it, a place from in the team. Yeah. And if you see it like that, then, yeah, you, you it's a, there's a different way to look at it for sure. I'm not sure where Moeen's resurgence leaves Adil Rashid, who presumably will go to Sri Lanka as well, but you've mentioned it already, but he's had quite a weird series. You know, didn't bowl, bat or take a catch in the second test. Hasn't bowled a huge amount. I think uh, he only bowled 11 more overs in five matches than Moeen did in two. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure that Joe Root trusts him, in which case there's no point playing him. Possibly he was sort of... Uh, slipping out of the frame for the Sri Lanka tour but then you know especially when Rishabh Pant was kind of uh, smacking him for some sixes on that final afternoon but then he produced an absolutely astonishing ball to get rid of Kale Rahul and, and and start the Indian collapse on the final evening one of the most extraordinary deliveries I've ever seen yeah I think. ridiculous does it turn more than the Shane Warne ball of the century I haven't looked at them side by side, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I haven't got the protractor out, yeah. but it, it must be close. It's, it is mental how far outside leg it pitches than to clip the off bail. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And it, dr- it drifts a bit as well. So actually, he releases it like almost off the pitch, like off the line of the pitch in the air. And it kind of drifts in, pitches way outside leg, and then spins quite quickly and takes off stump. It's... It's Absolutely one of those balls amazing. as well. Just the the way the batsman kind of respond. It, it's just you can just tell it. it it's a, just a cracker. Yeah, it's well, you can obviously tell it's a cracker, yeah. but you know what I mean. But it's like a genuinely sort of gobsmacking yeah. moment. The only thing that it reminded me of, and I've said this to you already, is when you bowled London correspondent Gordon McRae round his legs in the back garden uh, when we were aged about 14. Must have hit a divot, I think. <laughs> it was like it, came, it was a right angle. I I uh, I, I messaged. Gordon to say that that you know I think I think it might have even turned more than that one when Tony bowled you around your legs and his response was yes it did turn more than a fictional ball (laughs) 
He maintains that that never I happened. Mental. Uh, it. I can see the ball. <laughs> I can see the expression on his face when I close my eyes Chore every night. <laughs> uh, yeah. on floor. I guess it's been a bit of a funny summer, though, isn't it? Because when we were sort of in the build-up to this series, you know, the sun had been out for sort of ten weeks straight, mm. and then what did the series start? Like on the first of August, didn't I think? It was cloudy. It's been cloudy since the 1st of August. Uh, You've been so down on the weather since the start of August. It's been a terrible August. Yeah. But literally in July, I think you actually said in July, doesn't matter what happens in August, we've had an absolutely great summer. I retract that. And then like two weeks into August, you're like, this weather is shit. This weather is absolute dog shit. It was a great early summer, but uh, yeah, it, it did tail off. Uh, but yeah, obviously, yeah, things in that sense did pan out slightly differently to what everyone expected. You know, everyone thought the spinners were going to have a massive role to play. And, you know, as we were just saying, yeah, didn't really bowl a huge amount. It, you know, in that sense, actually, the way we thought things might happen, that, that India would get the better of England, yeah, in the end, actually, the conditions were right up England's street, even if they couldn't bat in them at all. No, but it certainly suited the bowlers. And uh, one bowler in particular that it did suit, I don't know if you're aware, Tone, not many people seem to have picked up on this fact, but in this game, Jimmy Anderson surpassed Glenn McGrath to become the leading wicket-taker of all time amongst fast bowlers, took the final wicket of the match, as I mentioned earlier. So he's now on 564 wickets, one more than McGrath, and behind only Muralitharan, Warren and Kumble at number four on the all-time list. So that was quite a moment, wasn't it? Some very emotional scenes at the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone had been talking about it for a few weeks. Uh, and, yeah, and then to do it with the final ball to win the test on the back of what had happened with Kirk and everything else. Yeah, it was pretty magical. People always say you couldn't script it. But actually, that is how you would script yeah. it. So you could script it. You would That's script it. That's how you would script it. Exactly. I, I, I do get a bit frustrated with the focus on stats, as you know, maybe uh, has come through in the way I introduced that bit. But actually, well, firstly, this is a particularly notable stat, you know, taking him to number one in the all-time list of, of fast bowlers. Um, I mean, it's not the most important stat in terms of judging a bowler. Like, so... Yeah, he's now got one more wicket than McGrath, but actually McGrath's average was five runs below Anderson. He played a lot fewer games. Lots of other fast bowlers played way fewer games, like Malcolm Marshall, people like that. It's not the case. It's not like Grand Slam titles in tennis or something like that, where it's you just tot up the number of wickets and that's who the best bowler was. There are other stats that you probably go to first, like average and strike rate, before you look at total. Anderson has played a huge number of games, about 143 test matches. Uh, that's the most games of anyone in the top 20 bowlers apart from Shane Warne. So, you know, in a sense, if you play that many games, you're going to take a lot of wickets. Obviously, the only reason you play that many games is because you're taking a lot of wickets. But Yeah, um, and the likelihood I mean. is he's, he's going to overtake Warne in that stat as well. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So it's kind of the wrong stat to focus on, but it is very notable. And also, although I get a bit frustrated with the focus on stats, they actually do matter in the long run and in some ways they're the only things that matter like it's a weird thing to say but like we we're not going whatever people are saying at the moment we're not going to remember this series like 2005 and in 15 20 years time we won't remember much about this series but we will remember or we will know how many wickets jimmy anderson took in his career and like that's in a way slightly i was gonna say depressing that's probably the wrong way but like 
that's not necessarily the way you want to think about a sport, but it is the thing that people people know what average Don Bradman ended up with. They don't necessarily know what happened in the matches he played. Yeah, and, and him, Anderson, getting his name up there, yeah, fourth on the all-time list is is pretty incredible. And it, yeah, it's it's kind of a cricketing immortality, isn't it? Because there aren't well, the likelihood is that not many players in our lifetime will surpass that. Uh, it's hard to imagine many players playing that many games at yeah. this point, isn't it? So yeah, uh, so, yeah he's always going to be in that mix, and yeah, you know, the, the names that uh, they're up there like Kapil Dev, you know, Courtney Walsh, Richard Hadley, as you say, yeah, you know, I don't really remember obviously never really saw Hadley play, but you're always aware of him because anytime you check or, you know, you look at the leading wicket takers, his name's there. Yeah, and you, you, you look at his stats. You don't sort of look at you know, what happened in the matches he played. Yeah, and uh, the remarkable thing about Anderson, well, two things that are remarkable about Anderson is firstly the longevity, the desire to keep going having played that many matches. You know, he made his debut in 2003, three years before Alistair Cook. He made his debut before Andrew Strauss, um, a year before Andrew Strauss, and Strauss obviously it's now like bald and running English cricket, <laughs> <laughs> and Anderson is still in the team. And secondly, a sort of related point to that is the fact that he actually keeps getting better. Yeah. Um, so he was the leading wicket taker in this series. He took six more wickets than the second highest wicket taker in the series. Uh, and since the beginning of 2014, he's averaging 21 with the ball, which is five below his career average. And since the beginning of 2017, he averages 18 with the ball. There is a perception, I think, amongst some fans, particularly Australian fans, that he is a, I was going to say a flat track bully, but that's the wrong expression, a home track bully, or like he only does it at home. Um, and he obviously does have a better record at home than he does away, but actually his record away is fine or is good. You know, And he's been instrumental in huge England series wins like India in 2012 and the Ashes in 2010. You know, he was the best bowler in those series. The UAE, England lost 3-0, but he was outstanding in that series in, in 2012. So essentially, Tone, what I'm trying to say is if you don't think Jimmy Anderson's a good bowler, you're an idiot. I think you're right. As you say, he do, you know he seems to be able to do as much, if not more, with the ball now than he has, ever has. And the longevity is incredible. And there, you know, there, there are times early on in his career when people sort of looked at his action and were like, you know, he'll never, hmm. his back's going to break. So yeah, it is amazing that he's still going and, you know, he seems to be, yeah, as kind of chipper as ever. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Doesn't he? Well, as I say, it was very emotional scenes when they walked off. He, he, he was very emotional about the fact that Alistair Cook was 
on the field when he took the record-breaking wicket. Shall we talk about Cook, Tone? Go on then. It's probably about time, isn't it? So yeah, as everybody knows, this was his final test match. 161 tests he played. Shall I Shall I give you some stats, actually, is what he's ended up with in his career? Hit me. So yeah, 161 matches, 291 innings, 12,472 runs, a high score of 294, an average of 45.35, 57 50s, and 33 100s. He also struck 11 sixes, which seems quite a lot. I don't really remember him ever hitting a six, but apparently he hit 11 of them. When he got to his 100 tone, did you manage to keep yourself together? Well, I was at work uh, and it kind of took me by surprise, to be fair. Uh, so, yeah, no, it was ridiculously special scenes. I know pe- it's a funny one, isn't it? Because, again, the older you get, for yeah, in this instance, it's, it's just a bit kind of weird. Like, I remember cook making his debut i think we were at uni second year of uni first year of uni first year of uni yeah uh so it's kind of weird to have watched the whole his whole career and one that's you know been so kind of glorious in many ways yeah it was it was actually that is one of the reasons why i did feel quite emotional about it because you know we've talked about the fact that we're getting older and these players are younger than us and stuff now but cook is along with anderson the last kind of surviving connection to childhood in a sense or to to that to a much younger version of myself you know in the world of cricket at least and and actually there's not many around the world now de Villiers has gone stain i suppose is still kicking around but you know it, it does feel like it feels like something has passed time time that's what it is yeah, yeah. that's what it is no you know what i mean I, I, cook retiring feels like the passing of something I was yeah, I was genuinely quite emotional when he got that. Obviously, it was a pretty extraordinary, unforgettable uh, manner that he got to his hundred with. You know, he uh, needed what three to get there, and he knocked a single into the you know out to cover point. Was it Bumrah? I think uh, whoever it was fielding hurled it at the stumps. No one was backing up, and it ran away for four. So he got five runs, got to his hundred that way, which was a you know, like I, I actually laughed out loud <laughs> as it happened. But you know, the ovation that he got, the reception. The, the the standing ovation that went on and on and on and on it was uh it's an incredible moment and it does show you know obviously we've talked about this a lot and it do- it doesn't actually show that much you know for lots of reasons it's only a very small part of the overall picture but it does show at least to some extent that people do still care about test cricket because people really love Alistair Cook and were so invested in that moment and I don't think you get that same investment in the other formats necessarily when you know when jason roy signs off from playing t20 for england it's not going to be quite the same yeah is it? i think that's slightly different though because uh, yeah i don't think it's just test cricket but it's also the innings that cook has played now you know again looking you know looking at the stats you know the names around him in the all-time top scorers top run scorers list he hasn't been as as sort of uh, yeah as, as gloriously talented in terms of sort of stroke play and shot making and that kind of stuff but you know he, he's he occupies a quite special corner of, of cricket doesn't he which not many other players do which is that yeah that sort of sheer doggedness and you know and scoring those big big hundreds in you know cr- crucial series for England that that is very endearing in a way much more so than somebody comes in and yeah like 
flops around, uh, you know, flops a few shots around. So in that way, yeah, it's, it is, yeah, his has been a special career. Yeah, I think you're right. It is the particular way that he played the game that, do, as you say, does endear him to you, or you feel as partly as someone who's you know not very good at cricket. <laughs> It, you can sort of relate to that maybe better than you can to a Kevin Peterson or... Yeah, and I think, you know, funny... I don't know if yeah. it's a sort of particularly British thing, but that kind of gritty, nuggety thing. Yeah. Sorry, go on. But yeah, you know, you talk about longevity. What was it? 159 tests in a row he played. Uh, which, given that there have been... I, well, I can't couldn't name how many, but there have been several occasions during his career where people have basically said he's got no technique. And he just, he doesn't even know. There have been times where people are like, well, he just, he doesn't know what to do if the ball's outside his off stump, which yeah. is quite remarkable. So, and we've, we obviously, you know, in, the, in this podcast, we've spoken about him at length on numerous occasions <laughs> yep. and, you know, debated, should he, is it time for him to go? Should he, should he quit? Should he be dropped? Should he, whatever. Uh, but he's always kind of found a way to get through that. And actually, yeah, at times, yeah, for, for much of, the last whatever X number of years, he has been undroppable, but partly because there's been no one else, but uh, but also obviously just yeah built on the foundations that he sort of laid. There was no such thing as the iPhone when he started that <laughs> sequence of, of 159 tests. Do you want to know what number one in the charts was when he made his test debut? It's Chico time. Wow. By Chico. Shortly followed, well, followed a few months later by Hips Don't Lie by Shakira. But all the more impressive as well is that just the role of the opener is is the sort of, yeah, it's the guy who opens the door and runs in without sort of knowing what's on the other side, isn't he? It's like you're sort of going and you're leading the charge. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, as has been proved, the fact that no one from England can't find anyone else to bat with him, it's bloody difficult. Well, it is a bit worrying because England still haven't replaced Andrew Strauss and he retired six years ago and now they've got to find a replacement for Andrew Strauss and Alistair Cook. Well, and on that subject, I mean, it, is there any thought that maybe he's pulled the trigger too soon, seeing the way he played in this test? Uh, possibly, in some regards. You know, his body isn't failing him. Uh, he's only 33. Yeah, exactly. He's not old. When you look at, again... He is you, not old. <laughs> when you look at, you know, the names around him uh, yeah, in the list of, of run scorers... Yeah, they're all. Lots of them were much older by the time they retired. Tendulkar, what's Tendulkar? Forty when he retired? Uh, yeah, at least well, thirty nine. Yeah, think, maybe, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's no doubt that Cook could. I mean, he, he. It was just up to him to decide when he wants that to end it. And yeah, at this point, having scored, yeah, if he got a couple of ducks and uh, still quit, and then maybe played for Essex next summer and and scored a bunch of runs, you know, you might have thought of a recall. Well, there would be calls for a recall if, if England was still looking, but the fact that he's finished on the hundred is a you know is a full stop on it. But um, yeah, clearly he could play on, and he is going to play on in county cricket, isn't he? Well, yeah, and I suppose he could play on in the sense that clearly he can still do it. But you do wonder whether it was because the pressure's off, you know, because he knows it's his last game. Well, I suppose the pressure's on in the sense that it's his last opportunity to ever do this. But it didn't really matter what happened. He wasn't playing for his spot in the team, his place on the tour. And he hasn't played an innings like that for a long time. So, you know, the fact that he produced this one doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I agree with you that 
it's going to be very, you know be very hard to persuade him out of retirement to kind of to potentially you know spoil what the ending that he's just had but as i say still only 33 if in two years time he's banging out runs in county cricket and england still haven't found an opener and there's some big series coming up yeah i'm not sure he'll and i i doubt he will but there will be calls for it in the way that if he's playing county cricket and he's scoring runs and England are in need, yeah, you're right. People will be talking about it. Yeah, because it's not like the sort of Triscothic situation where he's obviously still playing county cricket, what, the 12 years after he last played the Test match. But that was a you know, unique set of circumstances. But, and again, it's very different, but people, you know, there were always calls to get Ramprakash back in the team. You know, he didn't sort of have a big ending. But, <laughs> there, you know, still calls. there are still calls to get Ram Prakash in the team. But that was going on until he was about 40. You know, if Cook does want to keep playing county cricket, you know, he does play for quite a few more seasons and he's prolific, which are all big ifs. But, I, you know, I wouldn't be stunned to see sort of calls for him to come back in the future. But, you know, this obviously was a pretty remarkable way to finish a pretty remarkable send-off. Do you have a favourite Cook memory? It's tough to look past the Ashes, you know, 2010-11, isn't it? Because that was Cook at is sort of in, that was Cook's best moment. Peak Cook. There you go. That yeah, that was wasn't it? It was Cook just Cook at his most Cook. Cook. Yeah. The answer to this question is the Ashes 2010 and specifically yeah. Brisbane 2010 for me. The first test of that series England were what like was it 517 for one Cook, Strauss and Trot all scoring hundreds and that well Cook a double 100 like and that was when you thought you know this really could be on England winning Australia which was a pretty remarkable thing at that point well and then you know would be again Um, (laughs) and that was after England got done quite relatively cheaply in the first innings yeah absolutely so so that is the answer to the question but I I do really have a soft spot for Cook in 2012 his hundreds in um, he scored hundreds in Ahmedabad Mumbai and Kolkata I think in that series and was just it was yeah we talking about how he uh, you can almost sort of relate to him a bit more because of the way he played the game and his sort of limitations in his own game and stuff but also like I do have a soft spot for backs to the wall type players Michael Atherton is one of my favourite batsmen ever that was cooking that series and it wasn't in a negative way it was actually devastating to the Indian morale that they just kept running in and Cook would just plod forward onto the front foot and just dead bat it. It wasn't necessarily outstanding entertainment for the neutrals, but as an England fan, it was very satisfying that there was, you know, he was just so comfortable. And that was not something that you could have said about an England batsman in India since ever before, yeah. like, at least in our lifetime. So that was really, you know, that was a very special moment as well. Obviously in our lifetime, we've witnessed some pretty big changes in cricket and, Cook played Test cricket the kind of way that it should be played, and some people would argue will dispute that. But also the way that we were brought up thinking it should be played. You know, there aren't many like that now. It is all, you know, matches over in three and a half days, and and no one actually beds down. Whereas you know, you Cook always wanted to to drop anchor, and uh, yeah, because that was great. He grew up, he learned the game in an age before T Twenty. And this is why I say it feel it does to me feel a little bit like the end of something, um, which maybe you know that's kind of uh, hyperbole, it's only exaggeration, but it it feels like quite a momentous thing. This he obviously holds most, if not all, of the England batting records, certainly the most important ones, most runs, most centuries. 
Is he England's greatest, do you think? He's certainly in the conversation. It's a bit of a stupid question in some ways, isn't it? Because there's there's no there's no possible way of comparing him with Len Hutton or Jack Hobbs. But no. in in the post Atherton era, I suppose is a fairer question to ask. I think in the modern era, yeah. he yeah, hands down, he would be in your eleven, your all time, <laughs> yeah, your all time modern eleven. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, he's got yeah, he's definitely. He's definitely in the conversation. I mean, it's tough, actually, when you actually look down the list of what in the modern era. There aren't really many to compare, well, to I be fair. Gooch. Uh, I, mean, I mean, yeah, Peterson. Peterson, yeah. If you if Peterson hadn't had such a sort of troubled career, I think he'd be hands down the best ever. But he did. But he did, he exactly. brought to an early end. Syrian, Bell. You can't say Bell over Cook, no, really, no, can you? So, like, it, it, well, again, well, th- he this probably is, the point, is though, to be fair. When I was trying to, I was trying to think of who might be, like, Triscothic probably would have been, you know, if things had worked out differently and he'd played a lot more. So, yeah, I think probably in our lifetimes, in the in the post Atherton era, it's hard to look beyond Cook. Um, it is really hard. So I think actually, I didn't realise how hard it would be. So, <laughs> You didn't know you were in for a... a <laughs> didn't know it was going to be a school night, did you? So, yeah, in, probably in the last 30 years, I think he is England's best batsman. And maybe longer. In the current England team, a team where there are, yeah, a lot of question marks, a lot of gaps to fill, he's just, he has just dealt the selectors possibly their biggest issue. Yeah. Into, like, he, yeah, how do you replace a player like Cook? How, how do you replace someone that's, yeah, played for the best part of how many years? Unbroken. Well, since Ch- it's Chico time, since it's top yeah, of the, exactly. top, top of the you, charts. So, yeah, how do you replace someone who's who's been there for so long and did it a certain way? I mean, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> I suppose the art, like what you could say in response to that, is that Cook actually hasn't. You know, you say, "How do you replace a player like this?" Well, actually, in the last year or so, he hasn't been. So they've already not had that player because he's not been producing those kinds of standards, but... True. Getting into that zone. <laughs> I like enjoying that. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say about this? Uh, about this, about Kirk, about Anderson, about this series? Are you, are you excited for what the winter... Holds in store for England tours to Sri Lanka and the Caribbean. No, no. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, it always is, isn't it? I think the you know, I think Ed Smith will be having a, a few long dinners in the next few weeks because yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. It does make me laugh. It's whenever he comes on screen, I sort of have a chuckle to myself. How do you rate Ed Smith's summer? Mixed, a mixed bag. I think he's made some good calls and made some bad calls. Um, clearly, Sam Curran was again not necessarily something that everyone was screaming out for, and not someone that I would have, you know, gone to straight away. He's been outstanding. The Butler thing we've talked about, but then Keaton Jennings has not worked out, and as you say, the whole kind of weird, lopsided or like really kind of uh, nebulous nature of the team with like six all-rounders like at some point England have to make a decision about which all-rounders they want in the team and I don't think it I don't think you can have Moeen Ali batting at three and then all-rounders all the way down to number nine it just it's a very weird shape isn't it to, to the team although I think he's made some 
some good calls. He's still got some big decisions to make for this winter. I'm getting tired. Yeah, me too, actually, Tony. It's, uh, it's getting late, isn't it? What are we now? Five past 11. Five past 11, bloody hell. It's been a long day. That's been a long day. We've a, got a lot in today. Packed it in. And it's hot in here as well. Yeah. It's always so hot in here. And I think you've got the heating on in this apartment. No. Like, I literally, did... it turns to September. It, you know, I, all right, August wasn't very good, <laughs> as we know. But, you know, it starts to get a bit wetter. And then you've got the bloody heating on. I do think... The worst kind of person. Yeah, maybe... I don't know. I have to get a silent aircon unit or something. <sighs> We've got to do something because it's killing me. Well, it will be colder now it's winter. That's a promise. <laughs> that's, that is that's really... A, that's a prediction. Good meteorological analysis. Much like the Great British Summer, this episode of the World Cricket Show is limping to an end. Uh, so all that's left to do, really, Tone, is uh, pack it in and watch Bake Off or something. Yeah, get the sweaters out of storage. Have you had fun tonight? Yeah, it's been good. A lot, lot of uh, talking points, eh? Hey? Good to be back. Yeah. Back on the air. And we won't leave it this long next time. What's the banter? What's going on? You what's all, what's you, coming up in a couple of weeks? Cricket-wise? Yeah. Well, England are off to Sri Lanka, aren't they? Quite soon. Not, yeah, that's not a long way away. Yeah, beginning of October, that series. But, you know, maybe we can um, look at some cricket that's going on around the world. Australia, yeah. Australia are off to the UAE to play Pakistan. So look ahead to that series. Um, and just generally catch up on things that have been happening. Because we haven't really done much of that this summer, have we? Yeah, we never talked about the uh, World Cricket League 2 or the World Cricket the World Cup qualifiers that I think happened in March. All right, yeah. <laughs> People are literally on Tentix. They've just been refreshing their podcast feed every day, yeah. waiting for that report. Um, well, yeah, perhaps we can talk about that as well, Tony. Yeah. If you like. And maybe why don't we uh, answer, answer some questions from listeners as well? If, you're, you know, if you've got a question for me or Tony, I say me or Tony, <laughs> we'll probably both yeah. take a stab at it. Um, I'll leave that one to you. Send them in. Send them in. Shall I uh, run through the social media platforms you can find us on? Yeah. Uh, we, I mentioned this at the top. We went to a social media marketing forum earlier today where there was a guest speaker from Twitter, from Facebook, from YouTube and from Snapchat. Do you think we should get on Snapchat, Tone? I'm not convinced we have much to offer the world on Snapchat, to be honest. <laughs> With, uh, yeah, you're probably right. Because on Snapchat, right, you can like put um, like dog ears on yeah, I'm gonna do people's it. faces, right? So they're like, um, Tony's taking a picture of I me. think, you, uh, yeah, you're sounding really old. <laughs> <laughs> now, now not, my, my, my grandson explained this to me. Um, this is not podcasting for the, the T20 <laughs> generation. You're too old to be on Snapchat, Tony. Like, we've all been talking about it and we're a bit worried. He's been talking, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to post to my Instagram story. Okay. <laughs> See, that's more like it. Here we go. Well, anyway, we're not on Snapchat, but we are on a number of other platforms. Uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash cricket show. Twitter at cricket show. I'm at Adam Bay for one, two, and Tony's at Tony Cover. We're on Instagram as well at world cricket show. And yeah, if you want to send in your questions, do it on any of those platforms or send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. We've had a few good emails lately, actually, which we can tackle maybe next time uh, and if you enjoy the show uh, there's various ways that you can support it financially if you go to our website cricketshow.net you'll find links there to our patreon and um, to amazon where you can do your amazon shopping through there and uh, and help to support the show uh, but one of the really great ways that you can support us and it doesn't cost you anything is just by leaving a rating or writing a review on the podcast platform you use apple podcasts or TuneIn or 
whatever. That's a really great way of uh, helping us to bring new listeners to the show. So thank you to everybody who has done that. And the only other thing to say is that we do have some other podcasts. If you can't get enough Adam and Tony in your life, uh, then why not check out our other podcasts? There are new episodes this week of both the World Tennis Show and the Little Film Podcast. Christ. And the best thing about that last one is that Tony's not even on that. He was away, so we talked about The Meg without him. And that was a live show, believe it or not. I've listened to about half of it so far. Very good, I have to say. Wow. Now, that's quite a review. Very good. <laughs> Very plausible. We, we coped without you. Yeah, so just about. Uh, so, yeah, that's our, our film podcast where we talk about films. And, yeah, the most recent episode about The Meg is out now. But that's it. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Until then, stay in school, everyone. Back to school now, so get your head down and, and get on with it. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers, Tony. Cheery. Bye for now. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.